This is the Balancing Act by Security Compass, your guide to going fast while staying safe in today's digital world. On today's episode of Leaders in Product Security, Rohit Sethi, CEO at Security Compass, is joined by Sean Porras. Sean Porras is the Director of Product Security and Assurance at Verizon Media as part of its information security squad, the Paranoids. He also leads the Bug Bounty team for the number one bug bounty program on one of the top bug bounty platforms in the industry, working with a group of ethical hacking community to eliminate internet badness. Prior to working for Verizon Media, Sean was Senior Director of Software Security at the College Board, where his team equipped software development groups with the critical training, tools, and processes needed to address information security holistically throughout the development lifecycle. Sean currently serves on the board of the Northern Virginia chapter of OWASP and was a conference co-chair for the 2019 Global OWASP AppSec DC conference. Hi, Sean. Welcome to the Balancing Act. Thanks Uh, for having me, Rohit. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for coming. Could you start by telling us how you got into product security? Absolutely. Let me think. I started back in, in the software development space in IT consulting. And then I did some systems integration and I had a wide variety of customers looking to implement software solutions to address business needs. And I moved on from that consulting company to IBM. I was in the software group at IBM and I converted from doing the, the hands-on technical work to then being project and program manager. In fact, I was a, the troubled projects project manager. And so they would fly me around to basically work with customers and to help address issues they were having uh, with the software and get things on track and get happy customers and, and keep moving forward. And in fact, in one of those projects, we were doing a patient a doctor portal for a pharmaceutical company and had a lot of interactions with the security team. And I got really interested in sort of the way security re- requirements manifest within products. And that interest led to an information security program manager job where I built out a variety of different elements of information security, including uh, a software security function. And that was a sweet spot. I really love that element of working in the constructive nature of product development with the destructive nature of product security and how you think about breaking software. And then I moved on to what was AOL and that was purchased by Verizon and then AOL and Yahoo smushed together. And we've been on a journey of building that product security function to where we sit today. Very cool. So interesting background. And I think we've heard that a lot from product security leaders of starting off in engineering and whether it's by happenstance or by choice coming into the security function, given you have this background with engineering and it's such a key part of product security. Curious, how do you think product security should engage with engineering teams? One of the the key elements in engaging with engineering teams is to understand the notion of A, they are constructively minded that they have to build features and functions to support business objectives and B that you need to integrate with their pace of play. If you don't do that, then product security will just not be fundamentally successful. And this is a fundamental pivot from where sort of product security sat years ago, where we could have even analysts who were just running tools and dropping vulnerabilities in the lap of product, uh, sorry, software developers. And that was okay. And the software developers would run off and have to address these findings. And sometimes they didn't have the right context. And it was a more conflicted relationship. 
And over time, we have things evolving like DevOps and you know agile development and pace rapidly increasing. And so product security was now challenged to figure out how to take its people process technology approaches and align that with a much more rapid development cycle. And so that's the challenge is how do we enable the developers? How do we integrate with some of these tools and these processes and get people to appreciate product security and securing their products from the outset and incorporate that into the high velocity work they're doing? Well, yeah, indulge me on that. How ha- how has the velocity of software development impacted product security? What what can you do to work with these fast moving groups? Yeah, I'll give you I'll give you a few examples. The classic example is you, know, you have a standard industry secure code scanning vendor who has a scan that will run in twelve hours, and in that twelve hour period, you have a DevOps team who has done ten different releases. And some of the code that was originally scanned no longer even exists. The findings are immaterial. So this is how out of whack we can get. Now, back in more waterfall or even some of the iterative development cycles, you had time for that 12-hour scan to run and the code wasn't changing at the pace it is today. And so those results were still you know, relatively meaningful and you could take those to a dev team. Now you've got to figure out how to make these bite-sized chunks of product security that align with these quick bursty development efforts. Super interesting, scary (laughs) in some ways, uh, all this, you know, infrastructure that we've relied on has got to pivot pretty quickly. You touched on scanning there and the thing that comes up often in overall application security, if you will, is this idea of shift left where some people have taken that to mean scan earlier and that's it. Other people have thought of it as secure by design and implementing security and requirements and threat modeling and these sorts of things. There's obviously trade-off here and where you're going to focus. So what advice would you give to somebody who's trying to balance between secure by design versus security assurance? I think the key word that you put in there is balance. And going back to the name of the podcast and balancing act, we really have to figure out where is the value proposition for both pieces of product security. Security by assurance is something is a place where we focused more in product security in the past, but it does have its place. That final gut check, that that answer to the question of, do I feel confident of this software hitting production floor? And it's like that, the O-ring check before the space shuttle challenger launched. We just want to make sure everything's in place, all systems are go. There's times when you need to do that in a more heavyweight, a significant launch, a major launch related to business strategy. That is going to be a part of your belt and suspenders approach, but it's later. And there's this image that I've shared with my team, and I I want them to hyper-focus on this, and that security by assurance can lead to, there's an image of a bridge that's being built from two sides of land coming together. And when you get to the final, say, 10, 20 feet of putting the bridge together, you realize one of the pieces is shifted left about 20 feet. So the bridge is not gonna come together. And so checking that at that moment is security by assurance. Now you've got a very expensive fix. You haven't done things properly up front. That is not the way that you're going to guarantee that you get products built properly, whereas security by design addresses that up front. And so taking a look at what things can you do to enable the creation of a product 
as early as you can, again, at the pace of play of the engineers that are working to build that product is crucial. And you can maybe scan, but maybe you scan for something very specific that's interesting and aligned with the business objectives for that particular product. Or maybe when you're threat modeling throughout the process, every sprint, you're doing a bite-sized set of threat models to take a look at the features that are coming at play and ensure that you've got some lighter weight eyes on those features. Or automation tests are getting built in throughout the life cycle, and they include security tests for things that you've been finding along the way. So by the time you get to the end, you've built all of that into your test suite and launches will be checking for security checks throughout the process. Even when your product security engineers are sleeping that night, if there's a release, we're checking for some of the common things that we found along the way. Yeah, that's super interesting. And I love that analogy. I'm going to challenge this only that I talk to a lot of companies, right? And, and a thing I hear frequently is there are some, I'll say without naming names, some bleeding edge companies that uh, build software really quickly. And they've championed this idea of shift left, not so much security by design, but by having a rigorous security testing re regime, static analysis embedded as closely as possible into the, whether it's in the IDE or kind of early on, uh, a more fulsome scan perhaps afterwards, integrated with CICD, having RASP or IAST, having dynamic analysis, having pen tests, having this sort of battery of uh, tests so that you have true assurance when you, when you release software that it's gone through everything that you could possibly think of. At least there's there, there's a, a mentality that's sufficient. And it's interesting because I see that picking up steam and, and other people emulating it and, and looking essentially to automation of security testing as much as possible, as opposed to any degree of security assurance. And I'm, and I'm curious if you heard somebody describe their product security function like that, you know, how, and you were talking about security by design, how would you you know, tell them or, or what message would you convey to them about why it's important to do the, to, to do the, the security by design piece? I think that the security by design piece offers that to an extent, the, the a la carte option of grabbing what you need off the shelf to rapidly build software. So if you grab components that have security already thought through and implemented inside of them, and you grab processes that ensure that as the requisite component of that product are continually being checked and upgraded, you're, you're in a better position towards the end. The, the, the scanning products find some things, they're good at some things, they're bad at other things. And I find that product security, there's definitely a big automation piece, but there's also a, a big element of, like I said, enabling uh, developers with reference frameworks that have already gone through their paces that they can grab off the shelf and making sure that you've got this connection to the engineering teams. And I think that the manual piece of product security doesn't scale, but I do think when it comes to security, there's an element of understanding the dev teams, understanding the business. There's a lot more than just the raw technical element of security. And then when you're meeting with development teams, getting them to adopt those early processes, getting them to uh, partner to talk about what are they trying to do and where are they going with their frameworks so that you can lay 
the train track for the train to come in and say six months because they're going to be using a new framework. You've already worked with them to provide the secure version of that and collaborate on how they're going to be using it. That's where secure by design really is advantageous and addresses some of these issues way earlier before that assurance check. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that's a good explanation. Now, thinking about the whole human aspect of it, security training comes to mind. So tell us about your experience in rolling out a security champions program and having the embedded security experts and, or I should say security designates in in development teams. That's funny. I've got experience on both sides of the spectrum. So one of the early security champions programs I rolled out, I found that finding the champions, generally, if you think through the characteristics you need, you can work through the people that you've already brought vulnerabilities to or design issues to and saw how they brought a destructive mindset and a collaborative mindset and embrace security, you can find out how to populate your initial program. And then you can also leverage your managers throughout the organization to identify talent within their organization who have security, either interest or proclivity. So once you seed the program with those people, there's an initial energy for any new thing. And then it's that asymptotic rule where the energy starts off and then boy, over time it can drop. And so you have to continually pump energy into the system the right way, or your program can shrivel and die on the vine. And my first program, I had a great set of champions. They were all really interested in security, but in the end, I wasn't able to get to why are you committing to this time? Why would you spend the time in the champions program versus that same, say 10, 20, whatever the percent is of your time on building the features that you need to build with the pressures of the business hounding you. And in the end, I couldn't quite figure out how to you know, incentivize them and deal with sort of the behavioral engineering aspect of Champions Program. And then fast forward to, to now, we are constantly asking ourselves in the current incarnation of a new Champions Program, how is this valuable to the champions? What, why would they come to say a community event uh, for the champions? Why would that, why would they be motivated? Why would they spend this 10%? We've talked about other aspects in the, in the industry. Maybe they get bonus. Maybe they get a new belt level. Fundamentally, I think it comes down to, am I making your life easier? So if there's, if I can demonstrate that you're going to get fewer reactive bugs to address because you're part of this champions program and you're going to spend less time triaging and dealing with the disruptive nature of those bugs showing up, maybe that's valuable to you. If I could demonstrate that, great. If I can build a community that people have some stickiness to, and they're really engaged in coming to those events and wrapping themselves in the blanket of the security champions program and feeling the comfort there of the the peering and the information sharing, and they leave there with something that's valuable. that That is a fantastic thing and drives security champions. I've talked to some other product security leaders and some of them say it comes down to cold hard cash. It's great that you can set up a champions program, but at some point it keels over because the pressures of the amount of time you have with your champions, just you, you can't compete with the rest of their day job. And if you don't have something really hard to give them, to incentivize them, they're just you know going to start to pass on participating. We're actively monitoring that and, and working towards that and making sure we don't layer too much, but we layer enough and that it's valuable enough that you get something from it other than membership, 
that makes the champions want to stick. And I'm knocking on wood here, but in the first year of this new champions program, we have pretty solid momentum. I think those are so far, that's a, a success, a critical success factor. I will say your culture is a huge element as well. So you have to be smart about analyzing the culture that you have in your company and figuring out how your engineers identify value and therefore how they would identify value from your champions program. Super insightful. And, and I would add what I have seen talking to various security leaders in this particular program is that one absolute prerequisite is business buy-in on the importance of security. I think in some industries, people are still working on that. And when you have implicit business pressure to ship software, which every business has, but you have implicit pressure to ship software, but you don't have a commitment on the importance of cybersecurity inside of that software, it becomes easier to push off anything, not just security, accessibility. And there's a number of things that fall under this, I guess, umbrella. It becomes easier to push them off for the sake of hitting deadlines and objectives and continuously pushing off security responsibility. So certainly having that buy-in at a high level is a, seems to be a prerequisite. Totally agree. And it's that short-term versus long-term picture. And if you can show, again, the, 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 the business is really focused on, like you said, shipping that product, meeting that marketplace need, but you can also demonstrate how the, the disruptive nature of security vulnerabilities coming in, say, through your bug bounty program or through your incident response program, and what that does to your tier three engineering support, they are not building when they are addressing those items. If you can, if you've got some good metrics, you can make that correlation. And then you have this comes back to the value of the champions program. If you can demonstrate that value, that by educating the champions, enabling the champions, and having the champions represent there on their own schedule, they can avoid the disruptive items that can affect marketplace launches. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. And I think the this whole concept of turning unplanned work into planned work really resonates with product leaders. How can a product security team understand how effectively they're helping engineering teams? You're talking about measurement and value. How do they know that they're being useful to the engineering teams? I think in order to demonstrate that utility, we've got to create continuous feedback loops. I think we've got to treat our, our development teams, our engineering teams like customers and give them that white glove treatment, have empathy for their business objectives and the mindset that they have, and then ask them continually through automated and manual means, how are we doing in helping you build secure product? And I say you, I should really say us. How are we doing in delivering product security into our development life cycles, because it's a joint effort. And one of the things that we've done is try to figure out how can we up-level our metrics and have sort of data-driven insight into how we're actually doing. So one of the things that we recently piloted, and it's going pretty well so far, is this notion of an NPS or net promoter score within the services that we're providing. And so certain scores result in a promoter, somebody who is actively saying this is a good service and telling other engineers that, yes, you should use this, or yes, the product security team is doing a great job, or yes, the product security team is a great partner, work with them. Then there are the passives who they say, ah, the service is good, but I'm not really going to go out there and talk to other people about it and really sell it. 
And then there are the detractors who don't like using it and or tell other people not to use it. So if you can monitor, find ways to bake that insight into your service, then you can determine where the needle is and figure out where you need to invest more or where you're doing a solid job and want to continue to maintain. That is a really innovative approach. And I think it should speak, it should be intuitive to to product teams, because if you're shipping products out to customers, many of them use things like NPS themselves. So it makes complete sense and uh, certainly a good way to make sure you're continuously improving. I think that's very innovative. Yeah, it's been pretty exciting. And I got to give kudos to, to the team. I just challenged them and said, hey, this rollout is, it's going to be awesome. We think it's going to be awesome. How are we going to know that our customers, our engineering teams truly believe it's awesome and be able to course correct? And so they came up with this approach and I thought it was, I thought it was fabulous. So I'm, I'm really excited about it. Yeah, likewise. So all very insightful, Sean. Uh, is there anything else that you'd like to share with us? I think the big challenge that we have in product security in particular is the sort of unicorn-like state of a product security engineer. And so seeking and growing talent, we got to figure out how to build that next wave of engineers and leaders. So we got to figure out where to find that that talent in unexpected places. One of the one of the things I, I try to figure out how to bake in is identifying uh, the identification of potential, the appreciation. How do we figure out somebody who's maybe a builder? So I mentioned that constructive and destructive mindset, but do they recognize the effort that goes into creation? of a product and building something, not just the destructive mindset, which is important also. Looking at places like software developers themselves or DevOps engineers who maybe don't have security in their titles, but think the right way, have that destructive mindset on top of creation. Can they think through misuse and abuse cases of the products that they're building? And they can reverse engineer the security controls that we need, and we can train them how to do that. But do they have a business lens? Product security is all about securing that core element of how many companies are interfacing with their customer and delivering on their objectives. So if you can't speak business, you can't speak how a vulnerability you find would be valuable or why you would adopt a service. So looking for that business acumen, I think is is another key element for certain pockets within product security and breaking for the sake of breaking versus breaking with an eye towards how does that impact an organization's strategic objectives is to- two totally different approaches. So how do we find that, cultivate that? Are, are the folks we're looking for, are they passionate? How do you identify passion within the interview process and the way we're building out our engineers? And if you take that passion and great raw materials, we can create a product security person potentially way easier than if we take, say, someone who's not a software developer or they're security, currently a security analyst working on policy, and you try to convert them into a product security person, that just doesn't work. So we need that creative thinking, lateral thinking, all that combines into these raw elements. So now how do we figure out how we find that? If they don't have a product security engineer title, but we wanna build product security engineers using some of these requirements, how do you dig into that? How do you locate that? A lot of times developers that were working within the organization demonstrate those capabilities. And I found really good success in converting developers into security people. Now, one big thing we have to do as product security leaders is find and cultivate those pockets of potential, and we need to pay it forward. And I'm going to challenge everybody listening to the podcast 
that we really should have at least one, if not more mentees so that we can keep actively grooming and building the conversation, getting people excited about product security so that next generation of product security engineers can fit in behind us. And so I'm really, it's a topic I'm passionate about and I'm just you know, curious to hear uh, everybody's thoughts on how they go after creating the product security engineer. Yeah, I'm. In fact, the very need that you're talking about is the reason that this podcast series, the specific product security leadership series, exists. Because I think I really like the idea of the challenge. Everybody finding a mentee and bringing them up and, and teaching them the skills and, and the experience. But I also think there's just a almost a PR angle on product security. Period. I don't know that it's as well known as it should be. I think if people think about cybersecurity, they often think about the SOC and they think about <laughs> malware and things that are happening on the perimeter. Certainly people hear about application security, but you just described some of the unique attributes of somebody in product security, but also the business value of the product security function. So I think if we can get the word out that exists, it's, it's not completely separate, of course, from overall enterprise security, but it's a different lens and, and try to attract people to it just by raising the profile of the discipline. I think that's an important step as well. I agree. I agree. And I really think that product security is starting to, to pivot into one of those areas of security that people are starting to hear more. We're starting to see chief product security officers show up and some things that we didn't see before. And that can only result in hopefully an increase in the, the population of product security engineers that we have out there. But I do think, and getting back to the mentoring piece, there's the, the my, my company has, uh, there's a built by girls brand and there's a mentoring component there. And we're connecting with these um, younger women in the industry, getting cybersecurity or security or IT training. And then we're talking to them now about, hey, isn't this exciting? This is what product security is. Hmm. So maybe we can plant that seed now for two, three, four, five years from now, that person who heard about this exciting area of security when she's heading off down that path and is at the fork and could go you know, left or right towards ProdSec, she goes right towards ProdSec and created more engineers and more protections for our, our users out there on the internet. Great. That's a that's an absolutely fantastic idea. I appreciate that. Thank you so much, Sean. This has been quite insightful, a lot of great takeaways, and I'm sure all of the listeners will feel the same way. Thank you for your time today. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. And thanks for this great podcast. I've enjoyed listening to it as well. <laughs> awesome. Want to learn about what Security Compass has to offer? Check out securitycompass.com slash demo for a free demo today. Want more of the Balancing Act? Be sure to subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts for more episodes.